time to really talk about the fact that just because you think something, uh, you don't have to own it. Just because the thought came to you this morning, right before you thought to roll out of bed, doesn't mean that that has to be the thing that you think about for the rest of the day. Or if you think something in the midst of relating to somebody, like, why do you do that? And I can't stand you right now just because you think it doesn't mean that it's true. And for me in my life, I've realized that knowing just because I thought it doesn't mean it's true has been something that's actually really helped me not go off of cliffs in my life. Because many times things enter my mind that are just flat out not true. They're not based on reality. They're not based on the way that God has made the world, based on the reality that he has set. And I found that as I learn to battle the thoughts that are not true, I actually can have productive thoughts. I actually can make better choices and I can treat people better and my relationships are improved. And it all starts by what happens in between my ears. And the same can be true about something that you feel just because you feel it doesn't mean that it's true either. And you see many relationships that start on a feeling that just fizzle out over time. Because just because of what you feel and just because of what you think, it doesn't mean that it's true. And so we've been talking about uh, certain lies, and I just wanted to review those so if, in case you've missed a week, you can all be caught up. Uh, but we've got a couple more weeks, and each week we're looking at a certain lie. Two weeks ago, we looked at the lie, I'm too tired. And when you think that lie, what you're thinking is not just I'm tired, but it's I'm too tired to do what I need to do. I'm too tired to take care of that responsibility. I'm too tired to treat somebody this way. I just can't handle it. And so we talked about the importance of relying on God's strength to help us push through those times when we think that we're too tired. And so my goal has been to not say I'm too tired. I can say I'm tired. That's true. I am tired. A lot of times I'm tired, but I get into trouble when I say I'm too tired. And so I encourage you as you're kind of wrestling with these different lies, think through the different things that you need to say to counter maybe the lie with the truth. And so I'm tired, but I'm not too tired. Uh, and we looked at it's too hard. The idea that as something comes to you that you're faced with that you didn't see coming, there's something in us that just goes off in our heads. This is this is too hard. This is too complex. This is too difficult. I, I can't handle this. And many times we face things in life that we didn't anticipate we would face. And they hit us right upside the head. They stop us in our tracks and we think, this is way too hard. And again, the same thing that happens. We need to push through to take advantage and to take the promises that God wants us to have. But many times what happens is we give up and we give in because of tiredness, because things are, are just difficult for us. And so what we've been talking about the last two weeks is how God gives strength despite the tiredness and despite the complexities of the circumstances that we face. And in theory, that may sound like, well, that's great. I have a problem and God can help me. But this is also about really looking at the fact that God is a God because he created us, because he wants a relationship with us, he actually has the tools and he himself has the resources to allow us to counter the things that give us problems in life. And so it's not a magic key. It's a relationship with God himself. And through that relationship, you actually can live life based on the truth instead of a lie. And so I hope you're encouraged to battle some of the thoughts that you have. And this morning we're going to continue with the lie. It's not what I want. You know what? I've realized that that's something that I face a lot in my life as well. 
Many times I'm tired. Many times I'm faced with things that are difficult and they seem much harder than they need to be. But a lot of times what happens is I'm dealing with my tiredness and I'm dealing with things that are difficult and hard. Something kind of crops up in me and that's saying, well, yeah, this isn't what I want. I don't want it to be this hard. I don't want it to be this difficult. I don't want to have just little energy as I have. And oftentimes these lies kind of work together to really come against us. And so this is really this idea of we're faced with things that we did not think would be a part of our life. It could be troubling circumstances. It could be problems. It could be just difficulty that you never thought you were going to have to handle. And there's something in us that says, this is not what I want. And that actually, this lie is something that's deeply rooted into all of us. And we have it from birth. It's sin. And what sin is, we have a certain idea of what we want. And sin tells us you go for what you want, no matter what cost. It could be success, it could be power, it could be influence, whatever it is. There's stuff in us that we want so badly that we will do whatever we can to get it. In the scripture, this is a stubborn selfishness that we're all born with because of sin. And each and every one of us have thought this lie, it's not what I want because of that. Because we're all selfish and we want what we want and we're stubborn, we're determined to get it at any cost. We do things that sometimes we regret. We do things that can hurt people. We do things that we think back later. Why? Why did I do that? Have you ever done that? You ever done something and you thought, where did, where did that come from? You said something to somebody and we call it like venting. We said something to someone, we just put them in their place. And at the time you're like, man, that felt so good. They had it coming. And then later you're like, oh man, I like crushed that person. You ever had that happen? I know I have. I've said things and I've done things that later I look back and I think, where did that come from? What was I thinking? Well, I was thinking, I want what I want. And when things happen that I don't want, I tend to react. This is called driving in Southern California, right? It's every time I get on the freeway, I'm thinking there's traffic. Yes. Welcome. That's a new part of reality. But every time there's a part of, I do not want traffic. And when there is traffic, it's not what I want. And so I make choices all the time of bobbing and weaving. And sometimes cutting people off. And sometimes getting frustrated when they cut me off. Sometimes I speed. Sometimes I'm behind somebody who's not speeding. How are you not speeding? You ever say that? What are they thinking? And they're thinking, the speed limit. People actually go the speed limit. That's not what I want a lot of times because I got to get to where I got to get because I need to get there. And it's all driven a lot of times by I want what I want. So this is something that all of us have to deal with. You may not be tired a lot. You may not face things that are hard, but there's things in you that are not what you want. And so this lie speaks to all of us because of sin. We've all missed the mark. We've all gone our own way and we all want what we want. Don't believe me. If you go out to eat right now, you're going to probably get in a line along the way, maybe to get your drink. And there's going to be somebody that's going to cut in front of you. And there's going to be everything in you that's thinking, you can't cut. You, what? That, it, it. And it frustrates you. And it gets to you. You can't cut in front of me. I had my place. This was my place in line. I wanted the soda before you got the soda. That's the rules. When it comes down to it, 
yeah, there's certain social norms like don't cut in front of people, but it's really based on the premise of that's not what I want. When you go before me, I want to be first. Why? Because being first is something driven from being stubborn and being selfish. We don't want to be last. Right? Like if you're a man and it's ladies first, like you'll, okay, ladies first, but hurry up. Right? Or it's kids and you're like, kids, hurry up. But it's just, it's not natural to us because we want what we want. And we'll do what it takes to get it. And so this lie gets us at our core. Each of us battle with it. And it happens in the multiple scenarios of life at work. You get to a place where you, you have a project and all of a sudden the project shifts and something that you've been working on now doesn't count for anything anymore. And you put a lot of man hours into it and then the project shifts. You have a deadline that you didn't know you had to have. And all of a sudden you, you have all this stress. You have all this pressure on you and all your thing is, well, that, that's not what I wanted. What? That's not, that's not fair. Which that's another lie coming soon. It's not fair. We'll talk about that one in a couple weeks. But these are all connected. It's not what I want. Well, this wasn't what I agreed to. In parenting, right when you get the, the phase of life in, kids change all the time. And right when you get it settled, like, okay, my kid is going to do this, and this is the sleeping schedule they're going to have, and these are their preferences, and it's never going to change. They're going to stay like this for the rest of their life. And you've got your formula down for life. And then the kids, all of a sudden, they don't like that anymore. Or the things that they were doing, they don't do anymore. And you're, this isn't what I want. It was predictable. I could figure it out. Now I don't know what you're doing. You just look at your kids like, what are you thinking? And they're like, I'm a kid. That's not what I want. You're supposed to stay the same. Now, if you're not a parent, you're thinking, huh? People want kids? Well, yeah. You do, but it's still this thing that gets at our core where it's just... Your kids do things and it's not what you want and they change and all the things that happen with that, you're thinking, it's not what I want. It happens in work, it happens in kids, it happens in relationships. All the time things happen, they're just not what you want. It doesn't matter if you planned it out or if you've not planned it out, just the way life is. And so not only is this at our core because of sin, but it's also just life. Life happens all the time. If you have a perspective that things will go wrong, it helps when it happens. Because they will. Now, the hope is we're not just Debbie Downers like, yeah, life stinks. I'm prepared. But actually, in the midst of things that don't go the way we want, that aren't exactly what we thought should happen, what do we do? How do we actually take advantage of of opportunities as they come. How do we deal with the things in us that cause us to get really upset and to try to control people and control circumstances? Because that's what it really comes down to. It's control. When things happen, that's not what we want. We don't have control. And when we don't have control, we start to get really concerned. Because how can I get what I want if I'm not the one controlling it? What you find in life is there's very few things that you have control over. You try to control people, over time they're not going to let you. You try to control circumstances, they change. You even try to control your emotions, and it's like a slippery just thing in your hands. It's just gone like water. You can't do it. 
So these lies are really based on control. You just don't have it. And so what do we do? What do we do when we so desperately want control, but the way life works is we don't have it? What do we do when we just have control and we want to control people but realize that that doesn't bring the life that you want? Your relationships are stale because of that. You're not enjoying your work because of that. Because as you're trying to keep everything right here in the palm of your hands, it just is slipping out. And so this lies at the core of us. And I want to dig in to the scriptures to find out a story and, and really look at what do we do and what have people done that are just like us, that maybe are faced with circumstances that we've never been faced with, but they have a relationship with God. And as we look into the scriptures, as we've been doing throughout this series, we've been looking at the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, you find stories after stories. And when I say story, it may sound like these are make-believe things, but these are actually historical events that really happened as God interacted with people. And so many people make good choices. Many people make bad choices. And just like us, they're a mixed bag. They made good and bad choices. And in the scriptures, what we've been doing is we've been looking at people that have been faced with these lies. So what about the people that are faced with, I'm too tired? What about the people that are faced with, it's too hard? And this week, we're going to look at a story of somebody that was faced with something that was not what they wanted. And we're going to look at what they did. And we're going to pull out some lessons. And that's what's so great about the Bible is you can look at lessons that happened thousands of years ago with people that you, you're never going to meet. This side of heaven. And you're going to look at how did God lead them? How did they follow God? What are the things that we can learn from? And that's the, the beauty of Scripture. As you read it, you can learn. It's not just an ancient document. It actually provides instruction. And so I want to shift gears and I want to share a story uh, a little bit from the history of Israel. And we're going to follow two main characters. Deborah, who's a judge at the time. She's a leader. There is no king of Israel, but she's a judge where people come to her for advice. People come to her for counsel. And there's a general of the army at the time. And I say army because it was more makeshift than established. And his name was Barak. And so I want to share a story about those two people, what they were faced with and, and what we can learn from it. And so I want to give you, just like we've been doing throughout these stories, some of the context and background so you can make sense out of it. Just like most of the stories we've been looking at, the Israelites go through a time of rebellion. Okay? Now, anytime you look at the Old Testament, most of the time you could pick a story and the Israelites were just doing what they wanted to do. So even the premise of it's not what I want, the Israelites knew that. The Israelites went always away from God because they wanted this. And God said, but you need to do this. But, but that's not what I want. And so they rebelled, just like toddlers. And there's a tendency in all of us as we look at the Israelites to think, wow, you guys, you had God leading you and doing all these miracles and you still didn't do it. You guys are crazy. And then like I wake up tomorrow and I make a bad choice and God says, you know, do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. So as, as you look at the Israelites, a lot of times there's lessons to be learned for us. We're actually just like them. Over time, we just want to go our own way. And God continually pulls them back. So they're in this time of rebellion and they're being oppressed by King Jabin of Canaan. The Canaanites, these are bad people. They, they wanted to take the Israelites out. Okay, if there was an Israelite that could be killed, they wanted to kill him. There was always a war going on. There was always a battle. The Canaanites wanted to take the Israelites out. And so they're, they're feuding with the Israelites. Uh, Jabin is a tyrant. And he's been oppressing the Israelites for 20 years. 
Okay, so it's basically like they are being imprisoned, just like they were in Egypt. They're being imprisoned and oppressed, and it's happened for 20 years. And so they're rebellious toward God, and they're experiencing the consequences that come from life outside of God's ways. They went their own way. They want what they want, what they wanted, and they've experienced oppression because of it. What happens is, again and again, throughout Scripture, this remorse comes. Like, we don't want this oppression. We don't want to be under this tyrant. We don't want to be, have this prison sentence over us. God, help us. And they, they turn to God, and they have sorrow, and they, they show remorse. And so God, in his grace, heard the cries of his people that were being oppressed. So they cried out to God, despite their rebellion, for 20 years, God heard them. And he decided that he was going to give directions to this godly woman named Deborah to help the people know what to do. And so this is another theme that's helpful as you read the scriptures. Despite how long the Israelites have been going their own way, despite how long they've been doing their own thing and getting what they want when they wanted it, God still listened to their cry. So no matter how far they were off the course, God in his grace heard their cry and he wanted to help them. And so he went to this judge, Deborah, and he, he, he says, you know, I want you to relieve these people. I want you to free them from the oppression that they're facing from this military leader. So there's Jabin, who's this tyrant. He had a, a military leader called Sisera. So Sisera is like, he's the iron fist. Everything Jabin's telling him to do, Sisera's doing to the Israelites. He's crushing them. He's opposing them. So Deborah gets instructions from God. The people have turned back to me. I want you to free them. And so Deborah goes to the general, who's Barak. Says, okay, Barak, we, we have a plan. This is what we need to do. And so I want to pick up the story. Then this is in Judges 4, 6 through 7. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Ammonoam, from Kadesh Natali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Natali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera. Okay, Sisera is the general. You're thinking, what are all these words? Okay, some of those are cities. But this is, Sisera is the general, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So they've been oppressed for 20 years. Barak, who's the general, they've not been doing anything. They've just been under this oppression, just wondering, okay, are we just going to die under this? Is this how life's going to be? And all of them are under this pressure. This is not what I want. We're supposed to be the chosen people. We're supposed to be taken care of, but we're like in prison. We're getting oppressed. This is not what I want. And so she goes to Barak. Gather the men. Get ready for battle. Now, I want to kind of share a little bit just of the odds that they were facing. See, this army that's been oppressing them has chariots. And they have strong men. And in modern warfare, and in ancient warfare, chariots, they're like the tanks. It's like fighting against tanks. If you don't have tanks, it's hard for a man to go up and like kick the wheel of a tank. Like, come on, stop. It doesn't work. Same thing with a chariot. If you don't have a chariot, you're in trouble. So Deborah's like, all right, Barack, general, you've been out of the game a little bit. But it's time. Let's go. Let's gather the people. Let's get ready to fight. We're going to take them out. And Barack's saying, they got chariots, right? Like they still have those? Yeah, you could do it. But like chariots, right? Yeah, 
And that's what he's thinking. How, how's that going to work? We don't have chariots. We barely have a makeshift group of soldiers. This isn't an army. We've been scattered. We've been oppressed. We're not ready to fight. There's been no training. And so Deborah's giving him the orders and Barack's a little bit scared. This isn't what he wants. He doesn't want oppression, but he also doesn't want to fight a battle. He's going to lose. And so he says this. Even though God commanded victory, he says this to Deborah. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay. This is a general of an army telling a woman who's a judge. I'm only going to fight this battle if you come with me. Okay. Let's kind of shift gears because this might be hard for you to conceptualize. It is a little bit to me as you get through all these cities that you're trying to keep track of. But basically, it would be like the general of an army today going to a politician that's never fought, that never has had any battle or military experience and saying, this whole battle is on you, congressman. If you come with me, I will fight. If you don't come with me, I will not fight. This is, this is unheard of. No general would ever go to a politician, let alone a woman in this time, and say, this is contingent upon you, Deborah. This is only going to work if you go with me. And this was her answer. And she said, I will surely go with you. Deborah, she's a gamer. She's ready. I will go to battle. And you're thinking, what are you thinking? This is crazy. But then she says this, nevertheless... The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So the general went to Deborah. Ultimatum. You go, I go. You don't go, I don't go. And Deborah says, I'll go. But you don't get the honor and glory. That's going to go to the women who are going with you. Now, if you're a general of an army, what... What are you thinking as this is happening? Think about it. You've been trained for moments like this. You've been ready as a general to take out the enemy. And a woman basically tells you, I will go and I will help. But basically, you've lost your manhood. That's what she's saying. Now you're thinking, well, he must just say, never mind, I'll do it. No, he, he goes along with it. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Natali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Do you see what's going on here? Barak was faced with odds he did not want. He didn't want to fight chariots. What he's basically saying is, I would rather be in oppression than have to be in a battle that I feel like we can't win. He wasn't willing to fight. So could you imagine? He's calling all the men. This is the picture I have in my mind. This kind of cracks me up. He's a general. You know, he's probably got like a nice jacket and he's wearing some things that kind of show he's a general opposed to just a, a common fighting man. And he's the general. And he's calling all the people. Okay, come on, troops from this area. Come, troops from this area. Let's lead. And the troops are just looking at him like, what, what's Deborah doing like, with you? And you could just see his face like, like not wanting to admit it, but yeah, she's, she's here. Like, what's she's doing here? You're the general. I told her she had to come. 
Could you imagine? Just picture that in your mind. A general with all the troops that he's about to lead into battle. And he's basically saying, like, I was too scared. This was not what I wanted. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the odds. And I was scared. It just fascinates me. All the pressure. It got to him. He, he, he just he gave in. And this is a common pattern that, that happens again and again. You have an enemy thought. And you decide the boundaries for what you will do. And just like Barak, I can relate to him. Because he was faced with odds that he didn't want. He was faced with circumstances he didn't want. And he decided in that moment it was too much. He wouldn't do it. So he shrunk back. At the opportunity he had to move forward to lead the men, he shrunk back. And he put someone else basically to lead. That happens again and again in life. You're faced with things that you don't want. And you then determine, okay, I'm, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'll take this. But if this happens, I'm not going to do it. This person at work does this. It's not, not here. I'm not going to do that. My boss asked me to do it. I will not do it. And again and again, we're faced with circumstances where we have to determine, are we going to do what's before us? Are we only going to do what we've decided in this little, small, little boundary of life? What happens in, as we face with this, the enemy wants to take us out. He wants us to be overwhelmed. He wants us to give in. But God wants us to expand our boundary. There's certain things that we think we can do. There's certain things that we think we want. And this has to fit here. And God continually stretches us. Allows us to see that with him we can do more than we thought we could do. This happens again and again with these enemy thoughts. Judges 4 9, I'm going to continue. Again, this is what happened when he chose to shrunk back. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So this was it. He was faced with something that he didn't want. And he shrunk back. And there's certain, certain consequences that happened because of that. And it's really the same set of consequences that happen today. And I just want to unpack those. Because if you're facing something right now that you're fearful of, and you either have to move forward in God's power or shrink back in fear, there's certain things that happen either way. And I just want to unpack what happened to Barak so we could learn from it. So shrinking back in fear causes three things. No matter what it is. The first is a loss of honor. If you shrink back in fear, instead of doing what's before you, that's your responsibility to do, you actually lose honor. That's how God has wired the world. Honor goes to the people that are faithful with what they've been given. In each responsibility, in each arena of life. So at your job, there's certain responsibilities that are yours. If you do those as best as you can do them, you actually get honor. Co-workers look as, you know, you're somebody that's reliable. Your boss looks at you as somebody who takes care of what they need to take care of. But if you don't do it, you're seen as somebody that cannot handle what they've been given. And there's no honor there. And we all get in those points where we, we're overloaded and we need help. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the things that we're given where we just decide, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. And we stubbornly decide. To not do the things. And so it happens at work. It happens in family life. 
It happens in our relationships. It happens in our friendships. And we don't play the role that God wants us to play. We, we lose honor. The second is there's a loss of self-respect. Now, you don't really see this a lot in the scripture, in this specific story. But you could just picture Barak looking back maybe a few months, maybe a few years, maybe a decade, looking back and thinking, what was I thinking? I had an opportunity that I'd been prepared for my whole life to lead and to take care of something that God had given me to take care of, and I froze. And in fear, I didn't move forward, and I shrunk back. You could just see that he would just be battling that the rest of his life. A missed opportunity. A time when he could decide, in God's power, because he's given me the victory, I will lead the troops forward. And he missed it. And so you actually do lose self-respect. When you get in a tough situation, if you give up, that's something that you battle with the rest of your life. Because God wants to give us the power and the strength to take care of the things that he has given us. So this is connected to to the relationship with God. God is a God who provides and God is a God who helps. And he wants each of us in the midst of the things that are overwhelming to look to him in the moment to help us. And that's what God does. He helps us. He's not absent and he's not far off. He's near and he's present and he sees it. sees what we need and he helps us as we turn to him. And then the third thing is when we shrink back in fear, when we're faced with things that we don't want, we don't want to see, we don't want to do, we don't want to say, we actually, we put others at risk. In work you can see this. If you don't handle something that you've been given, it affects your coworkers. It affects your boss. It affects the company's bottom line. In family life, your parents your your job is to train your kids but if you actually don't train them on how life works on what right and wrong is you put them at risk it's true they're not going to know how to navigate life so there's a tremendous amount of responsibility on parents but many times getting up early and the explaining and all the things that just are overwhelming are the very things that this is what they need They need parents that are guiding them and walking them through life. Maybe in a relationship with somebody that's hard to relate to. Maybe they've been a friend a long time and you try to love them, but you just get to this point where you say, it's not what I want. I don't want to continue to love this person and try to help them. I can't do it anymore. When are they going to just move on? I can't do this. It's not what I want. But maybe you're that friend that, that is helping them see that there is hope. Maybe your friend that's the picture of this is what a life looks like that's committed to Jesus Christ. And you're that picture to them. So you can see it it happens again and again. There's different scenarios that you're dealing with that are not what you want. But the way of honor and of self-respect and protecting those around you is to handle what you've been given. And God provides the help. And so I want to wrap up the story uh, briefly And God, just like he said, goes behind the scenes, even though Barak shrunk back. He was with the army. Deborah was right there 
in the midst of the battle, seeing all that's going on. We don't see Deborah, like we don't know if she had a sword and she's like just people coming, just knocking them out. You know, we don't know. I don't know if she was fighting or not, but she's there in the midst. And just like God said, they, they have victory and the oppression is ended. The Israelites did their part. They fought and God did his part. He came and he provided the victory and that's what happens. As we do our part, God always does his part. He's faithful. He does what he says he does. And so they get victory and then the, the chapter five of Judges. So the story's in chapter four and then chapter five, it shifts gears and it becomes this like victory song. Where they've had battle and they all come together and they start singing. Okay, a lot of times in Old Testament, you see like these songs and different poems. What it is, is they come up with a song because this is how we are going to remember. So it's a song and I have no idea how it goes, but something along the lines of like, we're oppressed, but we're free. We're free. We're free. We're oppressed, but we're free. I just made that up right off the top of my head. That was terrible. But you get the point. Okay, I used to grow up watching soccer In soccer. The fans sing. Okay, they sing for the victory, like our singing determines whether you will win or not win. And so when there's a victory in soccer, it's the same thing. The whole crowd gets together and they're just like, yeah, you know, just singing and you're happy. And, and this is what they say in, in Judges 5.2. Despite all that commentary I just said, this is what I want you to take. Judges 5.2. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly bless the Lord. And that was a song. I don't know the notes that they sang for the song. I don't know the rhythm of the song. I could try to do it. It'd be terrible. But have a hack at lunch with your friends today. Just write a little rendition. How would they sing it? But the bottom line is this, that the people that offered themselves willingly bless the Lord. That's the key. When faced with things that you don't want, if you offer yourself willingly and you say to God, God, I don't want this. I don't know how this fits with the timing of my life. I don't know why I have this stress that I didn't think I was going to have. But I will do what you want me to do. This actually echoes the sentiment of Jesus himself. And in closing, I want to walk through how to face things that you're facing in the way that pleases God. And the first thing is to actually do what Jesus did, to follow the leader. If we follow Jesus Christ's example, when he faced something that he didn't want to face, we can learn a lot from that. It's in Luke 22:42. And really briefly, Jesus was faced with dying on the cross for our sins. And all of us have some sort of a reference of that. You see the cross, you see Jesus, he died on it. For our sins, for the stubborn selfishness that we all have, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And he was faced with this decision. Am I going to go through with this? I'm going to die as an innocent, perfect man who has the power of God completely at my disposal. I'm going to die for a group of people that despise me, that hate me, and I've done nothing wrong. It's not what he wanted. He had a very honest prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, he says this. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
ties right back to Judges 5 too. The people that offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Jesus Christ offered himself despite the pain and suffering that he was facing just within him. The burden, just being overwhelmed by what he was about to face. At the end of his prayer to God, not my will be done, but yours. The key to fighting the lie, it's not what I want, is realizing the very thing that may not be what you want may be what God wants for you. You cannot choose it. Sometimes the very thing that's not what you want is what God wants for you. If you want to know what it's like to be a Christian, you want a picture of of this, what does it mean to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? It's willing to say to him and in front of all the people, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And if Jesus tells you to do it, you will do it. Just like Deborah, just like Jesus. So whatever you're facing, follow the leader. It's not my will, but it's your will. I want to make you happy. I want to please you. We all have to decide who we will make happy. That will be the story of our life. Who is it that you're trying to please? Is it others? Is it yourself? Or is it God Almighty? And we each have to choose. Not my will, but yours. The second is to use the shield of faith. Anytime we need to do something that we don't want to do, there's a part in all of us that we freak out. Because if I do something that I don't want to do, I'm totally exposed. I could be unhappy the rest of my life. What if my life turns out to be a complete sham because I'm doing something I never wanted to do? Well, if you use the shield of faith, you're fighting the battle, saying that God will not rip me off. It's not my will, but his will be done. And if I do his will, it will be far better for my life than if I try to do my own will. That's using the shield of faith. In the scriptures, you need the shield of faith to fight the battle. It's part of the spiritual armor. If you've never read about the spiritual armor, you can read it in Ephesians 6. It's very helpful. It's how you fight the battle. You use the armor of God. But the shield of faith is to block the fiery arrows of the evil one, of the devil. And the devil throws arrows at you like, you're not good enough. Kaboom! You stink. Kaboom! You're going to fail. Kaboom! How does that fit your plan? Kaboom! You get the picture. The arrows are always coming. The shield of faith is, yeah, it's not what I thought, but God's going to take care of me. Yeah, I had a plan, but maybe God's plan is better. Yeah, I understand. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I trust that God will take care of me because I'm his son. That's the shield of faith. If God wants me to do it and I do it, I'm far better off than if I don't. That's the shield of faith. So each of us have to use it. And we've been given to it. We've been given it. Despite our plans, despite what we want, ultimately, if we decide God's will will be done in our life, the shield of faith is saying, God will not rip me off. I'll be far better obeying him than just getting what I want. And that's faith. You have to decide, will I follow Jesus, believing that he will take care of me? And you don't know. You can look at the examples of people. You can look at the experiences people have. You can look at the lessons in the scripture. But the bottom line is, ultimately, you don't know. That's why it's faith. So each of us have to decide today, whatever that we're facing, do I trust that the God that came through for the Israelites, that came through for Deborah, that came through for Barak, even though he shrunk back, that came 
through for Jesus when he was rose again, will he come through for me? And we each have to decide. Because if it's not what I want, I'm exposed because I may be doing something I don't want to do. If I do something I'm not going to do, what if I'm not happy? It's true. You may not get what you want, but you actually may get better than whatever you wanted. And that's faith. And the last, so once you've taken the shield of faith, decided that God's not going to rip you off, you take wise, decisive action. Just like in a battle. You can't just stand there extinguishing the arrows because eventually you're just standing still. You're, you're going to get hit. You have to move forward. And so when you're faced with something that you don't want and you've decided that it's God's will, not your own, and that he will not rip you off, you move into doing it. You do what he wants you to do. And I can't tell you what that is for you. I have a few things in my own life that I know God wants me to do and I have to decide to do it. But each of us have that choice. And that's free will. And even after you've committed your life to follow Christ, and he is the boss of your life, and you do walk with him, you still could wake up tomorrow and he asks you to do something that you don't want to do. And even the premise of committing your life to Christ, you may look back and say, do I really want the Bible to kind of dictate what I do in my life? That's not what I want. That may be true. So even on the front end, there may just be things that you're facing that's not what you want, but you have to decide is doing what God wants better than what I want. And that's the choice every single one of us have to make. And I want to encourage you. I speak for myself and I'm one man and there's many people that have experiences as well. But I've known on the flip side, when I have pushed through and done what God wants me to do, whether it's to obey, whether it's to treat somebody a certain way, whether it's to take care of something I don't want to take care of, when I've done that again and again, God has not written me off. And I want to encourage you. Think through what the thing is that you're facing that you don't want to do. And make a choice today to do it. If that's what the Lord wills for you. I'm going to pray and then JR is going to come up and walk through some next steps. And then we're going to be receiving our offering. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, I, I thank you for just the character of Barack and it's very easy to pick on him as you look into the story as a man that shrunk back. But I know in my own life, I'm just like him. I face things and I get scared and I get nervous and I flat out just don't want to do things sometimes that you want me to do. And God, forgive me, forgive anyone here that has that same tendency whether it's by sin or stubbornness or by selfishness. God, we want to do what you want us to do. Not our will, but yours. God, will you make that true to us? Help us to see the thing that you want for us, the thing that is our next step in obeying you. And God, give us the strength to do it despite us knowing the outcome. And that is faith, and we need your help to grow in it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.